Hello everybody, I'm your host Nazarbina and this is the Omnichannel podcast brought to you by Omnichannel X, where we interview leading minds in content design, governance and systems from around the world. If you like this episode, remember to like and subscribe on whatever channel you're using and check out omnichannelx.digital for more info on our annual conference, blog and mailing list for exclusive offers and content. Now enjoy the show. Hello and welcome, everybody. Uh, I am delighted to have Preston Stowe from Oracle with me here today. Uh, my name is Nazar Bina. I am Program Director of the Omnichannel X Conference. This is one of our uh, one of our conference-related uh, podcasts that we do. You'll be able to see this on uh, on YouTube. You can want to watch our faces um, or through the the podcasting uh, podcasting platform of your choice. Um, the conference is at the time of recording the conference 2021 is coming up and uh, I'm delighted to say Preston will be uh, one of the featured speakers there. Preston So is a product architect and strategist, digital experience futurist, innovation lead, developer advocate. He's a three times South by Southwest speaker and author of the book Decoupled Drupal in Practice from uh, from A-Press. So, um, Preston, do you want to tell us a little bit about your about a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me on, Naz. And um, it's going to be a real pleasure to be at the Omnichannel X conference. I want to encourage all of the people watching this or listening to this right now: get your tickets, make sure to attend this conference because there's a lot of exciting content. I just took a look at it um, earlier today, and uh, I'm just really floored by some of the amazing speakers that are on the docket. Um, so, uh, as Nas said, thanks for that introduction. Um, I'm Preston So, um, and uh, I do a lot of interesting um, work in terms of the intersections between development of uh, digital experiences, um, design of digital experiences, and especially content strategy and content management around digital experiences. My background has been very long, I'll say. Um, I've been a computer programmer since 1999. I've been working as a professional web designer, web developer since 2001. Um, and uh, the first time I actually got started with content management architectures and some of the uh, really important things that are involved in building digital experiences beyond, not just beyond, the, uh, not just on the web, but also beyond, really started out in about 2007. Um, I've got a very interesting background. You know, I, I started out um, actually working in uh, web and print design. Um, so a lot of my background is in user experience design, but I transitioned very quickly into content management architectures built on Drupal, which is a, a very well-known open source content management system. Um, worked on some really exciting pilots, actually, that were for some of the best-known customers and best-known companies and organizations um, in the world. People like State of Georgia, Nestle Purina, building um, basically voice and conversational experiences for those folks. Uh, but also at my time at Acquia, I led um, our omni-channel uh, CMS strategy, which is really about how we can enable not only developers to leverage all the benefits of these exciting new digital channels coming out, um, like immersive experiences, like uh, a voice and conversational experiences, but also um, how we can actually marry or uh, uh, perform a or create a balance between a lot of the things that we as content editors, content strategists, um, content designers, UX designers, um, as well as uh, other people that are in that kind of sphere uh, need to work on, like uh, compliance officers, people who are uh, managing content, people who are planning content. So 
these days, um, I, you so know, basically I everybody who would come to Omni Analytics. Yeah, exactly. Everyone who's going to be at Omni Channel X, and, and and you know that's why I say once again, this is going to yeah. be a great conference. Um, and, and you know, these days a lot of my work is focused on that intersection. Um, because of my wrist, I don't do a whole lot of of uh, you know uh, code work anymore. I don't code full time anymore, um, but I do a lot of uh, um, strategy and a lot of architecture here at Oracle about precisely how we can create an experience that is great for the omni-channel because you know that's all the rage right now especially given uh, what's happening currently around the world um, but also how we can make sure that a lot of the developers who are building these experiences um, have the ability to uh, um, work very closely and in tandem with some of these designers and some of these content strategists. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen, I know one of the things you and I have talked about, Naz, is the fact that um, a lot of folks have uh, trouble these days with um, some of the uh, problems they're facing around, um, around interacting with developers, interacting with these implementations. And uh, um, in you know one of those kinds of environments in particular is uh, voice and conversational experiences, as well as immersive experiences where people have issues. And that's where I'm focused today in at, at Oracle. And that's where a lot of my research and a lot of my writing is focused as well um, on places like CMS Wire, Smashing Magazine. I just wrote about uh, virtual reality for them, um, as well as for Alista Part. You touched on a lot there. Um, I'm, I, we're particularly excited. I think that we're you know, the, the conference is kind of content design, governance, and systems. Those have always been our four pillars. And what you're basically saying is you've kind of been through all of those in your day. Um, and so you're kind of the, the you, you are the kind of a bit the poster child. Um, the past couple of uh, conferences, we haven't had as much systems as I would have liked. Uh, you know, we had lots of content marketers, lots of content strategists, and UX designers, content designers, and so on. But, uh, we, you know, we're trying to get a balanced conference where you can bring your, your team and, you know, the technical people have got some technical people to talk to. You're having good cross-functional conversations. There's sessions for everybody. And so this year, I'm quite happy to have you because you have that more systems perspective and you're bringing uh, not just a fully techie, but a techie who understands how that fits within the business context. So... Very excited to talk about immersive experiences with you because uh, I think it's right on for what, we're, what we all care about this year. And I'm a big fan myself. Uh, so please, before before we go any further, let's, can you just do a, a short, clear definition of what you mean by an immersive experience? You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about, um, you know, the, the proliferation of different digital channels is that we've never really had until recently, until the last few years, um, very different modalities for these digital experiences. Um, you know, we've 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 seen voice and conversational experiences emerge, but I think the place that I find the most interesting value in terms of organizations and the most interesting potential, uh, especially given the way that our world is shifting, is in these immersive experiences. And what I mean by immersive experiences is, um, you know, essentially experiences that involve the ability to immerse a customer or immerse a user in, a, in an environment that presents them with content or presents them with information or presents them with um, certain user experiences that are not limited to a screen. And I realize it's a very vague definition, but it's vague on purpose because um, in reality, when you think about immersive experiences, they really run the gamut across a lot of different uh, channels of content or a lot of different channels of, of, um, of design. 
And, um, you know, one, of course, that we have seen emerge over the last few years is uh, what is now called, um, uh, you know, extended reality or mixed reality, which is the notion of actually integrating a content experience or certain, um, uh, you know, certain media within the confines of an experience powered by either a world that is presented um, superimposed over the real world, which is what augmented reality is. Um, one very good example of this is uh, taking your smartphone, holding it up to a work of art in an art museum. Many art museums today are experimenting with this um, uh, quite a bit, where you can actually get information about a piece of artwork by uh, using the machine vision capabilities on your device uh, and some algorithmic uh, magic um, to detect what that artwork is, share some information about that artist, share some information about that artwork. But that's not the only use case for a lot of these things. Um, augmented reality is very interesting because uh, at um, Aquia Labs, we actually built a very interesting prototype um, for a very large grocery store chain in the US that allows someone to scan with, you know, once again, machine vision, a product in an aisle and learn about all the different things that they need to know about it, whether it's on sale, what the price is, nutrition facts, um, you know, things like where it's from. Um, and a lot of the things that people need in their day-to-day -day life, especially given that a lot of us are very averse to necessarily touching things, you know, touching surfaces and interacting with physical products necessarily. But, you know, I think over the last couple of years in particular, um, we've seen a lot of growth in, in augmented reality experiences like Pokemon Go is kind of a, a, along the same kind of um, axis of, of how we think about immersion. But I'm also interested in virtual reality. And virtual reality is, is kind of, you know, poo-pooed, uh, right? People say virtual reality, nobody can afford an Oculus Rift. Nobody can afford a HoloLens. Um, nobody can afford these things. And it's really just kind of playing around with toys or playing video games that don't really have any relation to uh, content design or content strategy. I actually disagree. I think that there's a lot of interesting potential for virtual reality. Um, and a lot of that has to do with um, creating different spaces and different visualizations of content that actually enable a much more rich form of interaction with this content. Just like we can superimpose content over uh, things that are in the environment or things that we find out there, um, we can also actually create a completely fictional world or a completely uh, a kind of fabricated world that we can present to users. And this can be a very, very compelling experience, especially for those who um, you know, it's not just about escapism or gamification, but it's also about uh, providing an experience that is much more than just a screen that's, you know, 16 inches or a screen that's 40 inches, um, but something that's actually completely immersive and embraces the user uh, both literally and figuratively. And that doesn't, you know, that's, 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 that's you know, that's not quite the end of, of immersive design because there's a lot of other things involved in that too. Um, okay. There's, there's some interesting new projects coming out and I'll just dwell on this very, very briefly here. Uh, there's some very interesting, you know, projects coming out around things like haptic design or haptic interfaces, where people are able to interact with uh, content um, experiences or things like that through uh, touch or through mm. gestural um, kinds of actions. I actually have a friend of mine um, in Luxembourg who just worked on recently a project called Lickable Interfaces, where people can actually uh, uh, go and, and, you know, experience some of these things through taste. Um, so when it comes to immersive design, the possibilities are endless. Um, you know, I think with uh, the growth that's happening around, especially haptic design, uh, Microsoft is leading some of this charge. Uh, we're going to see not just AR, VR, uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, 
but some really interesting other kinds of modalities emerge. Uh, last year, or no, no, actually two years ago, at, uh, at the end of the conference, I presented a, a concept which I called the experience arcade. Which was kind of, which was basically talking about the the what what are we going to do with all this physical space? You know, we have so much of downtown areas, so much of the world has been built for housing physical products, and once we are able to, you know, ha- use the the re- all the retail space and all the storage space um, in any urban center for other purposes, because everything's going to get piped to us by drone or delivery. Um, what do we what do we repurpose all that straight space for? And this idea where the brand becomes not just the the purveyor of a service or a product, but the curator of an experience where you can actually kind of go in and be absorbed into uh, a physical digital um, mixed modal uh, environment. And and not just it, people think about video gaming. But uh, very concrete examples that I've seen, like uh, you know, test driving your new car, or uh, walking through your house that hasn't been built yet, or um, you know, anything anything in architecture and automotive. And just actually a funny point there, um, I remember that one of the first times having a discussion with one of my colleagues about about you know augmented reality in production, uh, I was talking about the fact that it's already already very widely used it's extremely widely used we know so many of us use it every day and he goes it's what are you talking about and i said when you're reversing your car you have a camera and it overlays data it overlays where the car is going to go it's going to overlays how far objects are you know it overlays also this extra information it, it augments that reality so that you can have a different experience um that your physical body isn't capable of that's that's augmented reality. It's, and it was interesting because he said, no, it isn't. <laughs> because I think we, we are very attached to the idea that all of anything you're talking about is very future. It's very you know, up and coming. But every time it arrives, we adapt to it so quickly and we integrate it into our life so quickly that we actually think, no, that's, that's just a review camera in my car. That's normal. Augmented reality or immersive reality or immersive design, that's that stuff which is still coming. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta, you know, say that I agree with you, Nas. Like, I think, um, you know, a lot of people get stuck in some of the hardware and some of the ideas that you have to have these sorts of interfaces. But I really disagree. Like, you know, I think that um, we're very much on the same page in that regard because uh, there's a lot of different situations today where, um, you know, for example, uh, I was looking just at a couple of apartments uh, for a friend of mine who's looking to move to New York City. And StreetEasy uh, now has this, um, you know, okay, virtual reality, it's a stretch, right? But it's still a 3D model of this um, apartment and you can zoom in, zoom out, you can do all sorts of interactions with it. Um, and the use cases for that sort of thing are limitless and, and definitely falls into the umbrella of immersive design and immersive content. Um, one very good example of this is uh, we worked at Aquia Labs um, briefly uh, to investigate how we could, um, you know, and, and this was very prescient now that I think about this, because uh, we didn't know at the time that a pandemic would happen. But um, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, what happens when you're a college, you know, you're, 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 a, you're a high school senior. And um, you know you're injured. You you go to a lacrosse tournament. You 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 break a leg, or uh, let's say that you're disabled and you're a wheelchair bound. You're a, you're a wheelchair user. 
um, or you know, you're in a pandemic and you can't actually uh, visit colleges. Um, so one of the things that I think is a big tradition for a lot of high school students is there's always that time when you go and visit, you know, um, you know Texas A&M, you go and visit, uh, you know, University of Utah, you want to see all of these places in person. But what happens when you can't actually do that? And a lot of universities um, are beginning to really experiment with uh, virtual reality driven university tours. And I think when we talk about data, uh, as you were saying with the rear view camera, something perked in my mind, because one of the things that I think is, is really interesting about the potential of virtual reality experiences is the ability to serve content through that conduit as well. Um, one of the things that we built at Acquia Labs was the ability for a college student to interact with this virtual space, which is literally a manifestation of their college campus that they wanted to visit. And they could click on various points geographically within that virtual space that would display content or give them videos or give them additional content related to uh, that department or that major or that building. And uh, one of the things that we also built was the ability for somebody to actually edit these things within Drupal um, using an interface that would allow them to configure, you know, geolocation, you know, within that virtual reality space, and then associate different tracts of content uh, with those items or different images with those items. And I think from, from our standpoint with Omnichannel X and from the standpoint of content designers, content strategists who are looking at more ways to deliver content in ways that are gonna attract, especially the younger generations. Um, it's not just about delivering the content, but also about managing and planning that content that becomes a very major concern for uh, a lot of these folks. So I have, you know, I have loads of opinions on what the impacts are on you know, that, that's my, that's my jam is the, the planning and managing ideation set. But what do you feel? What, what, what do you feel pops out when you say it has a lot of impact on how we create, plan, manage the source content? Uh, what, what are you referring to? Yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, uh, it's a very challenging thing. You know, I think um, uh, one thing, and, and this is, you know, a conversation you and I have had before, Nas, um, the, one of the biggest challenges, I think, um, for everybody. And this is not a, you know, there's, 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 there's no easy answers. There's no uh, silver bullet. There's no bulletproof, you know, answer here. And I think we're all kind of still trying to, um, you know, figure our, figure our way out through the dark with this in, in a lot of ways. And that is that um, for better or worse, we have been stuck in a web based or web biased paradigm for uh, the first few decades of digital experiences and the first few decades of what I would call digital transformation, even though that's a very overused phrase. Um, in this transition away from print media, in this transition away from a lot of the previous ways that we experienced content, we kind of put all of our eggs in one basket and said, Websites are the future. Websites are the way, you know, and we didn't really think about or anticipate. And, and this is in no way to blame anybody because we all, you know, had this happen to us. We didn't think about the way that the iPhone would, well, well, Nas, I know you have, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of us, well, you know, didn't necessarily yeah. think about um, like the iPhone coming out, right? Or Apple Watch coming out or uh, Oculus Rift coming out. So I think one of the challenges becomes how do you reconcile um, the fact that we all want to manage content in a centralized place um, without having any silos, without having any, uh, you know, duplication, duplication, exactly. Not only of 
the content, but also of technical debt, um, also of, of um, you know, compliance. Okay. Uh, I, oh, I've got you here. You're the person, per perfect person to ask this. Yeah. I, I have a sense. I have a sense of what that term means, but I don't know if everybody on our, in our on our podcast listening audience actually knows what the phrase technical debt means. Sure. Could you? Could you run us through that before you before you go? Absolutely. Into it? No, that's a very very good stopping point for that. Yeah. Um, you know, as a developer, uh, um, um, this is something that comes up very very often in, in um, engineering teams and uh, implementation teams, and that is that um, you can't ever finish a product to perfection, right? You can't ever create a, a perfect website. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. Um, and oftentimes during the implementation process or the uh, ideation process, we have to make certain decisions that might narrow or might make our jobs easier in the moment, but actually present barriers down the road or present obstacles down the road. Um, so what technical debt really means is, you know, when you kick that can down the road saying, well, you know, we're going to focus on, you know, let's say that's the year 2012. And people are saying, well, responsive design is starting to become a thing. You know, Ethan Marcote just wrote a book about it. Uh, mobile apps are starting to become a thing. You know, the iPhone is out now. People are beginning to adopt this, but we don't have time. We don't have the budget to build a, you know, something that's going to work for both web and mobile. Well, down the road, what happens is in order to reorient your web-only implementation or your web-only uh, development project to something that can accommodate mobile and can accommodate responsive, um, that's technical debt. And it's not just about future outlooks that you might have missed, you know, sort of these black swan events that you might have missed. It's also about just general engineering decisions that you have to make to deliver a project quickly and get it out the door. Um, you know, sometimes you have to make certain sacrifices. What, what language you're going to write in, what database you're going to use, uh, you know, what, what user expectations you set and then deliver to, I, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a, better definition than I've ever heard before. So I'm glad that I stopped you. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was on, uh, I was actually on Ethan and Ethan Marcos and, and Claire McGrain's podcast because, you know, we come from very different worlds. I came from, you know, Ethan's coming from the perspective of how do we make it look good everywhere? And I'm coming from the perspective of how do we make the content be able to appear everywhere, but actually spent probably the first half of my career, only in the last 10 years, have I started getting into the, the kind of the design side and how I work better with designers and, and, and the visual interactions and so on. Um, so it was a very interesting conversation. And I remember that they were telling me, we're talking about M dots and I crossed my fingers. And I'm so happy. I have never had a client who had an actual separate mobile website ever. And I and and so we're talking about that. And I told them the, the experience of the first time I heard that there were people who did that. There are people who had like a the CMS instance or the entire other CMS for the mobile site, and you were serving two copies of the site from two different systems. And and, and I was just going, what? <laughs> Why? How did you ever end up in such a situation? It's like it, it's it's. I don't know. It's like in like in um, Mad Max Fury Road, the movie <laughs> where they have like the car shoved inside another car. <laughs> like it's yeah. like, why would you build it that way? It's just madness. <laughs> well, let me up the ante a little bit there because you know I've worked with uh, clients in my past as well who who not only had the M dot you know subdomain or the mobile dot um, um, you know kind of separate version that was a completely separate CMS and a completely separate database and a completely separate implementation, but I also have worked with people in the past who built 
edit dot or, um, or admin dot. That was also a separate CMS and also a separate database that was solely for their editorial users. So not only would you have your M dot and, and, and mobile dot that's got its own silo, its own CMS, its own database. You've got your production, you know, you've got your live site that has all of that stuff. You've also got an editorial separate site that is internal and it's firewalled, but it's used by the editors and it's used by the content uh, teams to actually produce the content. And, you know, at the end of the day, it just becomes this unmanageable morass. Um, so that's another thing that I would note, you know, uh, one of the other speakers, uh, Jeff Eaton, uh, could probably speak to a little bit about that problem as well, I will say, because <laughs> he and I have had a lot of experience <laughs> with those things. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I'll actually, I'll call out, um, people might know Aaron Bradley uh, from mm -hmm. Electronic Arts, who is, uh, you know, one of the big names in Knowledge Graphs, where, we, where we're putting our content in a repository, which truly understands it from a semantic structural point of view. Um, it's a very techy way of saying things, which I don't, I don't like. But um, you know, a, a database that really understands the difference between when you say uh, this content is about uh, the nose, or this content is about things that are nasal, or this content is related to the respiratory system. You know, you have two equivalent things, and then you have those two equivalent things are the kind of child of another thing. Um, that gets really like most systems are not built to work that way and so it's very hard in traditional databases to make a system efficient and so that you can add new types of this new expressions of that new connections wherever you want uh aaron and then is at most of our large organizations are moving in this graph direction where in the same way that it's so easy for us to understand the relationship between those three concepts the databases are actually able to understand the relationship between three three concepts and for me where you're getting into immersive design where you're trying to give highly different representations of the same content, but you want to take into account who's there, um, where have they been previously, what have they accessed previously, uh, what, might their, what might their preferences be about this experience. Um, really like you are the character in your own immersive video game. So not, it is a game, but the power of a game uh, um, comes to to the real life. That I think is is where that these all these things connect. And so, you know, Electronics Arts is a game maker, and they don't just make the games with this kind of technology. They also use it to understand user behaviors and and associate and correlate. You know, people who touch this and people who do that within the games, and then on the websites, and then on the apps. What what else might they want to see, or what else? What offers would they be most interested in? And they were able to make huge improvements by uh, taking the whole omnichannel look and putting all that knowledge together in one place in a very human centric kind of way. It's a very, I think, it's a very powerful way of looking at the world. Absolutely, and and I think that sort of unification, that sort of harmonization is actually a good example of technical debt for a lot of these organizations that have previously created these silos or previously haven't had that overarching or, or holistic view of their Done content. it the other way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They went the other way. And, and this really brings up, I think, um, a really interesting point, which is that, um, uh, you know, the world today uh, is something that is becoming more algorithmically driven, more personalized. And I, I don't like the word personalization because I think it's a very loaded term, but um, you know, a lot of our digital experiences today are very much 
akin to choose your own adventure novels, right? You're not going to have the same user journey happen throughout the interface, uh, the, you know, the same time twice. It's going to be different every time. A user is going to have a different background. They might have certain language settings or localization settings that differ every time. They might be looking for different things. They might want to have an experience that's very much catered to their search history, very much catered to their um, to their cookies and and their and their browsing history within the interface. So it becomes this really interesting concern because one of the things I think that's going to be interesting with immersive design and immersive content in particular is how do we build those sorts of things in a way that not only developers can understand, people who are working on machine learning can understand, but also those who are planning and managing and uh, you know planning and managing content and also designing these experiences can begin to understand. And I think the these graph-based approaches are very much um, beginning to kind of peel apart some of these questions and look at what is the way that we can begin to actually manage this content in a way that makes sense to um, everybody and isn't just limited to, let's say, a web-based understanding of uh, this content. Because this is the whole reason why the semantic web never quite took off, right? Um, if we talk about uh, uh, some of the really interesting things that came out of the semantic web, which is a very similar kind of graph-based paradigm, in a lot of ways, it was really focused on the web and it was really focused on certain things that I think um, uh, didn't necessarily uh, anticipate um, some of the things happening around, around uh, a voice and around uh, immersive design. And so I'm very interested to follow, obviously, uh, uh, the, the work around um, uh, how these things are evolving and uh, it's gonna make a big impact on how um, uh, different systems interact with content through these experiences as well. Yeah, I, I, we, what you were talking about was making me think about uh, when, coming back to the technical debt and why it's not just a different kind of database it, because it's because with the other approaches to how we build systems, you're making the system and you decide what your understanding of the world is. You build your records that way and you build your, your con if, for the language, for the content people out there, you build your templates that way. You know, we make, we make brochures and we make uh, product overview pages and we make this kind of landing site and you kind of bake that all into the system. A system that is able to then come in and say, well, this doesn't just have this these fields on it, it also now it has location. Also now it has, uh, you know, time, you know, bringing in the ability to, to place in the full four dimensions of, of, uh, of life, if, uh, space, time, uh, content, um, looking forwards, looking backwards and using your understanding to make predictions about the future. That kind of system is just not what we're used to. We're used to we're used to page making systems, very expensive, fancy page making systems. And now we're moving to something that understands human knowledge and can then tie that to human experience. And that's just a new paradigm, which I find so exciting. Yeah, we, you know, here 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 at um here at Oracle, we use a word uh, to describe um, uh, uh, that, which is pageless. Um, which I think is is a little bit biased in the direction of of pages still because it doesn't. Because you're still referring back to the page. Still referring back to the page exactly. Um, but you know, one other example of immersive content that I think really, um, you know, is very much along those same lines is uh, locational or geolocational content, um, especially when you have beacons, 
or mm -hmm. similar devices that are used to kind of deliver content to people that are, you know, within a certain set of parameters like time and like location. Um, and I think some of the really exciting experiments I've seen coming out of uh, some researchers in Europe and some researchers in China around identifying, you know, people who might have COVID uh, in public spaces and in these public environments. Um, you know, I saw one example, oh, wow. I, I, I think this was in Italy, where researchers were prototyping a solution for, you know, they would, they would, they would have this heat-based map where they could detect somebody in a public square that had COVID, get their device, uh, uh, you know, you know, if they agreed, obviously, and consented to this, right? Get their device ID, uh, if they have Bluetooth on, deliver to them directly a note saying, hey, you might want to get tested for COVID-19. Um, and I think that kind of model is, in some ways, the, the way that we should have been thinking about all of this to begin with, honestly. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think it's going to be very interesting because the way, as we said, right, building pages and creating these very convoluted means to just basically create a printing press of pages, right? We're just, we're just, re we're just, we're just reviving Gutenberg over and over again, right? Um, now we're moving into this space where we're trying to completely reinvent and re-architect how these things work. And it's a very exciting time uh, to be in, in, in this sort of space, I agree. It's beautiful. And the fact that it's, um, it's also overlapping with, in all of our society, how we kind of look at the human side of any of our systems, you know, is this good for humans? You know, we, we were very focused, I think, for for the past few centuries in a in a in a kind of a post Newtonian world into is this a good, is it good for the institution? Is it good for the system? Is it is it accurate? Is it predictable? And now we're kind of going, wait a minute, what about the people? Um, and th these have been always been a you know, there's always been a friction between these two mentalities. But I think that we're we're the market expectations for human centeredness are very high and the technology is becoming much more capable at the same time. And that's going to see a huge transformation in the coming years. It's very exciting stuff. It's, it's very exciting. Yeah. And, and, and just to, just to jump off of that, you know, um, I've got a book coming out uh, uh, very soon after the conference called uh, voice content and usability. And in there, I quote Erica Hall uh, who wrote conversational design um, you know, she says something that's very astute and I think applies not just to voice interfaces and conversational interfaces, which is conversation is not a new interface. It's the oldest interface. It's the most human interface. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is that over the course of the last, let's say, 60 to 70 years, ever since we've had, you know, giant tubes as computers and, and you know, punch cards, we've, in a sense, had to cater ourselves to these systems, right? We've had to rehearse these behaviors and rehearse these patterns that are completely alien to human societies to begin with, right? If you, if you were to show somebody from Babylon in the city of Ur, right, in, in 3000 BC and say, hey, here's a keyboard. Hey, here's a mouse. Yeah, yeah. Here's a video game controller. That's how you interact with your information. They would be like, what are you talking about, you know? <clears throat> and it's really interesting how these devices that are rehearsed, these devices that are learned, these devices that are acquired have taken over so much of our lives to the point where, you know, we're rehearsing how we talk to Alexa. We're rehearsing how we type at 160 words per minute. We're rehearsing how we use a joystick to move around these worlds. 
And I think it's about time that digital experiences and uh, the way that we deliver content um, actually comes back to the core of what it means to be human and comes back to us on our own terms, right? Have a conversation with us using our own language, our own slang, the way that we say y'all, the way that we actually speak to one another, right? Have an interaction with us through augmented reality or virtual reality that actually makes sense given how we move through our physical spaces and how we interact with our physical environments. That's, you know, in a sense, it's going to be like a renaissance of, of these things that will bring us back to a humanistic view. Yes, exactly. It'll bring us back. Normalness. Exactly. Yeah. I just read you yeah. know, yesterday this thing about this, um, this uh, professor who took a year off the internet and, you know, all the things that he learned from, from the fact that these devices have, are mediating so much of our lives that we're letting these large corporations or letting these um, systems that might algorithmically actually harm inclusion or harm equity in our society. Um, we're actually letting them really overtake a lot of our of our biological capabilities. And oh, see, you just started a whole other podcast there, which <laughs> I would love to have you back on. You know, we're running a little short of time, but really, I would love to talk about exactly that. Um, I want to thank you so much for 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 the time you have contributed to us. Uh, I, 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 you know, we have to come back to this. This is that you just touched on my most favorite topic um and uh you know where the dark side of this you know we're so excited about it uh we're so excited about the power of the algorithm the power, uh, but there is uh there is something wrong with um handing out so much control of really culture to machines uh, which we don't fully understand but okay uh, we I, okay promise you podcast if you're can i can i get a promise that we'll come back and talk about that some other time Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You've got my word. Fantastic. So you heard it here first, folks, Preston and I, we're going to go deep into the, the Black Mirror. Um, before he goes, I want to mention that as a speaker, you can use Preston's speaker code, which is SPK. So Sierra Papa Kilo 2125 when you register to get 25% off any package for uh, for Omnichannel X. And uh, as we were saying earlier, Omnichannel X is a cross-functional event. We're seeing it really popular with teams. They, you know, bring, bring if you are a content strategist, bring your developer. If you're a developer, bring your, bring your uh, content marketing uh, colleagues. If you're social media, bring your regular product marketing folks. Um, it's going to be online this year, if that, uh, if you haven't already noticed on the, on the website and all the different uh, materials. Uh, so that means you can come from anywhere in the world. We're running a longer time, uh, longer agendas. It's going to be very friendly. What well, we put all the discussions in a time zone, which is pretty much good for most time zones in the world. So you can get lots of discussion time, lots of uh, panels of experts and stuff like that. Check out omnichannelx.digital if you haven't already. Um, Preston's on there on the speaker list, uh, as is myself. And that code again was SPK, Sierra uh, Papa Kilo 2125 for 25% off. And then if you do come as a group, you can get another 20% off. So this year, you know, we're hopefully back in, in live next year. So these kind of prices will not stay around. So take advantage of joining because that'll get you the participation, the, the groups, the recordings, and the transcripts. And we hope to see you all there. Thank you again, Preston, for all of your sage wisdom. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to talking again soon. Pleasure to be here and see you on the conference. 
Thank you for listening. This has been the Omnichannel Podcast with Naz Urbina, founder of Urbina Consulting. Drop us a comment on our LinkedIn or Twitter and let us know what questions you'd like to answer next time and who you'd like to hear interviewed. See you then.